All right, a uh, little interactive piece to start us off. I have a question for you. Um, what is the smallest prayer uh, that you've ever prayed? Like, and by that, I mean like the littlest thing that you've asked God for. And you can, it can be as trivial as you think it might be. Here's the time to share that. So just a few people, throw your hand up. Let's hear it. Smallest thing you've ever prayed for. Yeah. Help me find my keys. How many people prayed that one? That's real. That's legit. Okay, that one's a real one. What else? No, oh, this is boring. Okay. Come on. Smallest thing. Here we go in the back. Let it not rain for second Saturdays. Let it not rain for second Saturdays. Again, these are really good. I don't know if these are that small. What else? Uh, someone down here. Yeah, Ethan. Um, a magic carpet. I get it. Okay. Uh, help me to get the classes I need. Get the, class, get the classes when you register. Yeah, that's a problem, students, yeah? Amen, anyone else ever done that? Okay, last one. Yeah, Bayani, my guy, man, my guy. What's up? Help me to get more sleep. Help me to get more sleep. That one, you just go to bed earlier. That one's easy. <laughs> like, hey, answered. Okay. Um, so that's great. Okay, so um, these, these, these things, right, they're, they're, they're small prayers as we think, but um, I want to tell you, like, God cares about those too, Right? that we can often think these things are trivial. The smallest thing that I often pray for, and if you've been with me in a vehicle and we've been going somewhere, you know this is true, I pray for a good parking space, okay? Like all the time, I'm driving, Lord Jesus, <laughs> sovereign God over heaven and earth, whom authors the entire story within which I live, grant me a parking space right in front of this restaurant we'd like to go to, okay? And it's 50-50, like... I mean, like you guys can attest, like it happens an inordinate amount of time. And here's, here's the thing. I'm not here. Now, we're not starting off our prayer series by telling you all, hey, God's going to give you whatever you want because that's not the way this works. But I do want to start off this series by telling you that God does care about everything that you want. That God's heart is, is big enough, his mind is large enough, right? His glory is grand enough to care about all of you. And everything that you want and everything that you do and every place that you are, God cares about that too. We, we have this line, all of life is all for Jesus. I have the shirt in Spanish on today because of Guatemala. And, and it's just this thing where we have to buy into. God cares about every part of your life. And he engages with every part of your life. Now this doesn't mean that God doesn't care about other things probably more than he cares about me getting a parking space. In fact, sometimes God, uh, well, I'll say this, God always cares about people more than he cares about me getting a parking space. And so sometimes I'm not going to get that space because someone else should get that space because they're having a tough day and need to feel just one glimmer of hope in a crazy day. God cares about that too. Listen, he's authoring and orchestrating sovereignly the world, and so he knows the heart of man and of woman, and so he so orchestrates and authors as to bring about his glory, our joy, and a blessing for the other. God cares about it all. And so as we talk over the next five weeks about prayer, my invitation to you is to say, God cares about what you have to say, okay? Because he made you with a voice. He made you with a mind, and he made you with a heart, now, what I want to do is I want to look at and kind of juxtapose this morning. Some of this is going to be a little more teachery than preachery today, um, but I want to share some slides. Jen, if you want to bring those up, 
Uh, these are different studies that were done about prayer in our country. Uh, and so we're going to juxtapose that with, hey, is that where we should be? Uh, and is, is Jesus, as we study the life of Jesus over the next five weeks, because that's the name of the series, is the praying God. In other words, we believe Jesus is God and he prayed a lot. And so if Jesus is God and he prayed a lot, what does that mean? And so how do we contrast how does the world pray? How do we oftentimes sometimes pray? And how did Jesus pray? And so we can line up. You can't see that top line because we're terrible with technology here. Uh, but it says, uh, like, how do you most often pray? And so 82% of people are going to pray silently by themselves. This is, again, this is kind of nationally. So 82% of people pray silently to themselves. Uh, 13% audibly to themselves, so you're actually speaking words, okay? Uh, and then uh, 2% audibly with another person or group, and then 2% collectively with a church. So that means that's why there's so much groaning when we do that with you guys on Sunday mornings, when we make you guys pray together, because no one usually does this, okay? Uh, next slide. Uh, this is uh, what do you pray for, okay? Um, the top one, uh, if, if you, because you can't see it, right, um, was pretty much for like your own personal safety, security, and goodness. Uh, the next one, needs of, and that was at 62%, uh, needs of my family, community, 61%, personal guidance, 49%, and so on and so forth, you can kind of see. But these are just kind of general ideas. You go down 12%, pray for their sleep, Bayani. So look at that, 12 out of 100 are, are weird like you. And then um, all sorts of things. Blessings for meals were only 37%, which I found far lower, because I thought that was kind of just something that we, we did. Sense of peace, 37%, and so on and, and so forth. Let's keep kind of going through these. Who prays for personal guidance in crisis? 49% of people that are in high school or less will pray for personal crises, versus 39% when you get into college, uh, when you get past college, right? So there's, there's something in a transition moment, and I think it's very poignant for us to begin to look at this, is that we begin to think we're far more independent, we begin to think we're far more in control, and so what we pray for tends to change. We stop praying, Lord, help me in this crisis, because now it becomes, ah, I got it. Okay? And then this trend continues as you get older, more secure, and you have more money in your bank account. The stats will show. Next one. Who prays for personal health and wellness? 68% of elders will pray for health and wellness as opposed to 38% of millennials because millennials, we, we think, and I'm right there, 19, it was 1984 is the cutoff, January 1st, 1984, so I'm with you, solidarity, okay? Um, 38% of us, okay, uh, we, we pray way less than those older than us, and that, some of that makes sense because of physical health issues. Uh, less than 50,000, here's interesting, if you make less than 50, over half of people will pray for personal health wants. If you make 100,000 or less, 42%, and it begins to drop, the more money you have, the less you think you need to pray, okay? The richer you are, the less you think you need Jesus, at least specifically in this issue before God. Going over there, rural and small town, 55%, 46% in the city. So people in the cities, again, feeling far more dependent, and there's some other corollary reasons for that. Continuing on. Who prays for safety in daily tasks or travel, divided up by, by ethnicity? White race or ethnicity, 36% of white people will pray for safety in, in travel, okay? 51% uh, of black people and 51% of Hispanic people will pray for safety in travel, which is kind of an alarming difference, no? That 15% difference between what these communities are praying for, and we're not going to get into that whole dialogue now, but it's something I'd like to point out to you as, a, as, a, as something we'll navigate over the next four weeks. Continuing on. 
Who prays for a sense of peace? I love this. If you have children under 18, you're far more likely to pray than if you don't have children under 18 for some peace, okay? Can I get an amen from the, from the parents in the house, okay? Uh, 43% if you're in the city, 29% if you're in the small town, which just makes sense, right? If you live in the city, hustle and bustle and craziness and deadlines, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to a small town, 29%. Con- continue up. Who prays for their sleep? <laughs> Bayani? <laughs> Millennials, 19%. Only 1% of elders are praying for their sleep, which I did find interesting, and I'm not probably in that category yet, so I'm not exactly sure why that is. It seems like everyone should want some good sleep. But if you have children under 18, again, almost 20% are praying for their sleep as opposed to 9% who don't, which again makes a ton of sense. Continuing on. Last slide. Who do people pray to? Now, again, this is a national poll done by Barna. Okay? 90% of people are praying to God. Right? Uh, so just kind of that grand title oftentimes will mean different things to different people. Certainly we know that in our culture, but 90% of people who are praying uh, pray to God. 50% of people are praying to Jesus. 23% praying to the Holy Spirit. He's always kind of getting that kind of pushed to the side feel. 5% to the saints. 5% to a higher power not associated with a specific religion. 3% divine power within myself. 3% ancestors. 3% universe. nature, Yahweh, other, 1% Allah, and 1% not sure. So that's who we're praying to. Now, here's my goal. I don't expect you guys to remember all of that. I just want you to know that in the entire study, and there are far more slides that we could go over, the type of prayer that is identified within our country today, I'm going to tell you now, is pretty different from the prayer that we'll study over the life of Christ over the next five weeks. Uh, it, it's just different. And here's, here's my fear, is that church, we pray far more like this than we do like this. That, we, that we, we've kind of bought into and syncretized our prayer lives with the way our world prays and not the way the sons and daughters of the living God transformed by renewing grace every day should pray. And so that's the whole object of the next five weeks is to pursue and move the church towards this type of prayer life. Now, when you start talking prayer, you start talking a lot of New Testament verses, and we'll cover those over the next four weeks. But just as a heads up, a few of those that you get, Philipp- or, yeah, Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, present your request to God. Okay? Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Matthew 6.6, 6, this is where you get, did anyone see the movie War Room by chance? Uh, this is kind of where you get that idea. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your fathers in secret, and your father who's in secret will reward you. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Colossians 4, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, etc. So you get these kind of New Testament verses that are all throughout the New Testament. That the New Testament thrust is saying, pray, pray, and pray some more. Okay? But where we're going to start our series is all the way back in the beginning. Because I think if we're going to talk about prayer, we've got to talk about the origin of prayer. And so turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to go there. If you don't have a Bible, please slip up your hand. We'd love to bring you a Bible. This is something we do every week, so don't feel weird about slipping up your hand and grabbing one. We'll have interns come down as they come to the house to slip it up. They'll hand it to you. Okay? Turn to Genesis chapter 2. should be like page after the copyright stuff in the beginning. should be like page 2 in your Bible. Okay? So Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Let me get a sip of water. 
Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this is not often used or, or thought of as, as like a prayer text or a text with which we teach prayer from. But I'm going to tell you, what we have here is the first prayer. What we have here is the first interaction and dialogue and conversation between God and man. And it didn't start in the New Testament. This is something God has had a desire to communicate with his creation since the very beginning. Okay? And so what we see here in Genesis chapter 2 is the first dialogical interaction between God and and man, and so I think we can learn a few things from this, okay? Um, first, I think we learn that prayer at its heart is about communion. That prayer, prayer is about drawing into and communing with God. So, so God had placed them in the garden, but then he comes to them and he begins to commune and to dialogue and to engage. And so listen, at the heart of prayer is a communion with God. Sometimes Verity will say this to me, and I forgot to ask you if I could say this, but it's mostly just attacking me, so it should be okay. Um, but she'll say, hey, you're here, but you're not here, okay? I don't know if anyone's ever experienced that. Like, you're, you're present, but you're not really present, right? Because there's something else churning in my mind that's got me distracted, uh, and or the office is on, right? That can get us really kind of pulled away too. And, and so you're present, but you're not present. And so it's like, yeah, yeah, we are in and occupying the same space, but are we truly in communion with one another? Are we present? Are we engaging? And so what we see oftentimes is that's not true. And so God in prayer is inviting you into communion with him to say, no, because right, we know this as, as New Testament Christians on this side of the cross, on this side of Pentecost where the spirit of God so indwells the believer now that God is always present with us. Like that is a factual reality. He is not distant. He is with you if you are here and you love Christ as Lord and Savior. But sometimes he can be present, but not all that present in our lives. And that, and hear me, that's not on him, right? That's not because God took a step back. It's because we are oftentimes distant and not present when we should be present. And so what prayer does is, is this saying yes to an invitation of communion with God. Yeah, I, I want to be in your presence. I want to talk to you. I want to engage with you. I want to be with my Savior, God, who has so invited me into this relationship. Prayer as communion. The second one is, I think we see prayer in this moment as conversation, okay? As, as simple conversation. And, and let's go out to the crowd again. Um, all good conversation has, has two parts, okay? Can anyone guess what those are? I'm a little louder, I mean, <laughs> listening and speaking, right? Speaking and listening. Like, there's, there's two ends to any good conversation, right? But oftentimes, okay, let's, I'm not even going to pick on it on me. My prior life can often be one-sided. God, this is what I want. God, this is what I need. God, this is what's going on. God, this is my sin. God, 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 God. And I speak so much, right, that oftentimes there's no moment for me. Well, actually, there's plenty of moments. Uh, it's just that I don't take them to just sit and listen. I'm not a good conversationalist with the Lord. But prayer 
is not just an invitation to his presence, an invitation to dialogue and conversation with the living God. Jean Vanier, if you're not familiar with him, he started something called L'Arche, which is a beautiful, they've established communities all around the world for the disabled and the broken, okay? Uh, he, he says this, prayer is to say to Jesus, tell me what you want, may your will be done. Then unexpectedly, and I love that little, unexpectedly Jesus says to us, tell me what you want. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. If you ask anything of me in my name, I will do it. See that there's this back and forth that is tied into first a rich communing with God that says, no, we're together. I know you. I experience you. You're with me. You're present. And then God, we talk. We talk all the time. And here, this is just kind of a specific, and, I, and this is not meant to, if this is the way you pray, and that's just the way, and it works, and it's great, and you and God communicate this way, it's awesome, but just as, as a, like a case study for our minds, that oftentimes when we pray, we step to the side, and what, how do, sometimes we start with, dear God, right? Like, dear God, and hear me, if that's how you pray, please hear me, that's great, keep doing that, but I do want us to think about it for just a moment, because that might not be, what I'm about to say might not be your heart. But dear God is not how I would address a single human in this world unless I'm writing a letter that's one-sided. If I'm expecting dialogue and conversation, engagement through communion with my God, it's, hey, God, like, let's, let's chat. It's, God, I'm just going to start talking to you. Like, I'm not writing a letter to God, dear God, and then here, let me present this stuff. Now hear me, if that's how you pray and your heart is in the right place, I'm talking about me. I had to really begin to think through these things and say like, why, do I pray in such a way? Is even my verbiage, is it so showing that the way I'm praying is really like this one-sided thing where I'm like, oh, well, well, dear God, let me do this. And then I sign up with a salutation that is, in Jesus' name, amen. And I walk away as if I've just written a letter to him. And that is not conversation. That is not communion. That is not a relationship like we'll talk about next week that God invites us into. So prayer as conversation, I think we begin to see. It cannot be one directional. Um, actually, did you, know, did you know the band One Direction? Do you know they, they named their band that as a confession that they only pray one way? I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, some of you guys are like, oh my God, they're Christian. They're not. They might be. I don't know that actually. Okay. Last one. We commune with God. We converse with God. And last one, prayer as counsel from God. Okay? Prayer as counsel from God. When we've been spending time with him, when we've been conversing with him, we don't often think of prayer as counsel. We think of the Bible as counsel, right? That the Bible is going to enlighten us and show us all the things that we are to live into in this life as followers of Christ, right? Like, and that's true. It is very much that. But I'm telling you, prayer is counsel as well. What do we see in the text is God coming down and saying, hey, this is what I've got for you. In fact, what he does in this first moment in Genesis chapter 2 is he employs mankind with this beautiful gift to go and tend to his creation. Prayer as counsel, as, as investment, as the pouring in of God of this is what life best looks like. And so, if, yes, pour through your scriptures. We love the Bible here. We tell you all the time, open your Bibles. You've got to start reading your Bible. We don't do that enough. It's falling away in our culture. All that stuff is true. But hear me, this counsel stuff has to come through conversing and dialogue and communion with God as well. It's got to be both ends. 
I, I truly believe, and this is just, again, a testimony of myself, like, I, ever since I got saved, which, gosh, now it's been like 15 years, um, I've never really struggled with, like, reading the Bible. Like, I've always really enjoyed reading, uh, and so it's a fascinating book to me. And so reading the Bible has never been an issue, but prayer has always been just this thing that, like, I know I'm supposed to do, and so I do it, but I do it kind of half-heartedly. It's a lot of stuff we've already talked about. And, and, and I'm beginning over the last few years to realize, like, that, that cannot cut it. That is not what the Lord has invited me into. It's not what he's called me in my identity to live in. It's like, no, no, you're mine. You're in the family. We need to talk. We need to commune. You need to hear from me as I speak to you in counsel. You need to listen. And so all this stuff, I want you to know this is not a, hey, I figured out prayer and do it the way I say it. It's, man, let's, let's unpack the scriptures together. And let's look at the perfect human and the perfect God, Jesus, and how he prayed over the next four weeks. And so I invite you to trust him over this series to refine in you a prayer life that reflects his own and reflects the identity of the gospel that has so changed us. Everything we talked about in 42 weeks in the book of Ephesians that we just ended, this beautiful reality of how God has made us new, adopted us into the family. What does it mean for us to live in that reality? It means we pray of primary importance. We talk and we commune and we converse with God. So prayer as counsel, as the late Eugene Peterson said, prayer is the disciplined refusal to act before God acts, which I just love that quote. Prayer is the disciplined refusal to act before God acts. And I'll tell you, that is a difficult trial for me because I think I got this life pretty figured out. I, th I think I can navigate this world pretty well. Uh, I'm very confident in me, in my ability to be able to organize and structure my life, my wife and I's life, our family and I's life, and hear me, the more I believe that, the less it's actually worked. Prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts, that we would believe that as he would speak to us, that the counsel he gives is for our good and for our benefit. That when God told Adam in Genesis chapter 2, don't eat of that one thing over there. That Adam would have believed because he communed with God, because he conversed with God, that must be true. I will listen. Even though it was something, right, you can't have this, he would have said, well, then you know better than I do. Is that our posture before our God? Who says this to us, or who said this to Israel in Isaiah 43, 1 through 5? Fear not, for I have redeemed you, have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall be burned, the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Fear not, for I am with you who says to us in John 15, 9 through 11, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. His counsel to you is good, but we have to be listening. 
And we have to see prayer as an opportunity to know how best God would say, this is how your joy might be full. This is how my love might be best manifest in your life is if you would stop, slow down, and just listen and commune with me and converse with me and hear my wise counsel that your joy may be full and that you will experience my love to degrees you never imagined. And then then we will be the people that can go to the world and say, this is what the gospel is. Man, it's good. We should pray. Now, wrapping up because this doesn't go super well in the garden. And I think, well, I'll get to that in a moment. Genesis 3, 8 through 13. This is where it goes wrong. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden because they just ate of the tree. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are God? Ask him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And God, after this, kind of begins to dole out his curses in the Old Testament. Okay? Culminating and ascending out of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden to go and be in this world, okay? To go out from his presence. So, so hear me, Genesis 2, it's prayer is communion, prayer is conversation, prayer as counsel made a whole ton of sense. But by Genesis chapter 3, something had changed, right? People were deceived into believing those things weren't true, and so they disobeyed, and sin enters into the world. And here's what has happened, is that when sin entered the world, it caused a fracture in the communion with God. That no longer man had the same relationship and engagement with God that they had in the garden. There was a chasm. What happened when sin entered the world is the conversation between God and man was all of a sudden somewhat distant and somewhat restricted. What happened is all of a sudden the counsel of God to man for how they might walk and experience the greatest levels of joy and love and mission in this world were now reserved for a select few prophets. You see, see, what happened when sin enters into the world is these things that were there in the beginning that were meant to draw us unto himself, unto joy, unto love, unto mission were fractured by sin. And my great fear is that, friends, we far too often still live as if sin is running the show of prayer in our life. As, as if that fracture of communion with God still exists because sin has so drawn you away. That conversation is not possible because sin has pulled you. That counsel is not possible from his spirit. But we know this is not true. And why? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Two of the best words in all of Scripture are the words but and God. But God, right? So in all of this, sin was trying to destroy communion, conversation, and to hear his voice for joy and love. And yet, but God came and lived the life we could not live, died the death we deserved, and raised on the third day to grant new life. Here's a beautiful fact, and we've talked about this some weeks prior, but I'll say it again, that one thing that happens before Adam and Eve are sent from the garden is that they are clothed by God with skins. 
And if you weren't here for it, just to remind you, the beautiful picture that we get, which would be a foreshadow to the coming sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, is that in the garden, before sending them away from the Garden of Eden, God kills an animal that through the sacrifice of the animal, man would be clothed and removed from his shame to point towards a future clothing that would come from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That it says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Galatians 3.25-27, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you have, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You now wear Jesus That God looks, and guess what? Because he sees his son, he loves you like his son. He's drawn you into the family of God through adoption. You are now uh, moved into right relationship with him, a veil torn upon the cross, or because of the cross. We're invited back into right conversation with God. We're invited back to, in prayer, in dialogue, in communion, to hear counsel from his spirit, whom we know. What is the spirit of God? The spirit exists to what? Counsel and convict us that we would walk in joy and love and mission. What God has so accomplished through his son, through the clothing of us through himself, through the giving of his spirit, is a restoration of all that was lost in Genesis chapter 3. And the way we pray, church, will we stop praying like we're still a Genesis 3 church? Will we stop praying as if sin still has this hold on us where we cannot commune with him, we cannot converse with him, and we cannot hear counsel from him? Because the truth is, because of Christ, the veil is torn, and all of those things are now part of the life of the believer. Amen? So let's pray like that. Let's pray in such a way that when you go home, or you know what? It's not even when you go home, and we're, I don't want to step on too many of the sermons we're getting ready to preach, but it's like, listen, you could be praying right now, right? Like, it's, it's not like this, it's talking to the Lord who's everywhere all the time with you, always and forever, and wants to listen. He's present with you, and He's everywhere. Hear me, like, and, and he sits there and he's just, talk to me. Like, like, talk to me, church. Ask me, church. Implore me, church. I want to do, he, this is his words. I want to do far greater things than you could ever ask or imagine. He tells you, no, go, like in a parable, right? He's like, no, won't you just go over to the neighbor's house because you need some? How many times will you knock on that guy's door until you get what you want? Keep knocking, keep praying, keep going because the access is back and the church is not separated from him any longer. Sin is torn away. So here's my desire for us. Over the next four weeks, after today, four more weeks, we're gonna look at the life of Jesus and how he prayed. The praying God, which is just a baffling and phenomenal, beautiful reality that God, Jesus in the flesh, God, like he he prayed frequently, fervently, and dependently. Why? Like, like Jesus, you're God. Like, you could have you just done it yourself, right? Like, this is the same Jesus that said, I could have called a legion of angels to take me down from the cross, but I chose not to. That same powerful God decided, no, I need 
this. I need to pray. And he's God. So my hope is over the next four weeks that we would move into more likeness of Christ in our prayer lives. And so a few practical things. Um, please come here every week you can. Uh, it's it's going to kind of be like a what, how, who, where, all that kind of stuff of, of Jesus' prayer. And so try and catch all of that. That'll be good. Um, and hear me, I, I would love for you guys, I don't know if you guys are like journaling people. I know some of you are. You do the prayer journal things. Some of you don't. I would encourage you to try and do some of that over the next four weeks. That, that even if, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to, I know a lot of you, so I'm not going to set the bar too high here, okay? Uh, if you could get in like, that was, I mean, I know some of me too, sorry. Um, like, you bagans. Um, take three times between now and next Sunday. Three times to just write down some intentional stuff you're dialoguing with God. And when you pray in those moments, spend at least five of those minutes not talking. Okay? And, and hear me, five might seem like a lot. Like, actually, here's what it is. Five right now, as I say it, seems like nothing. You're like, five minutes, that's a YouTube video, right? Uh, but then when you get into it, you're like, oh my God, has it been five minutes? Oh, it's 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> right? Like, we're so fidgety. Okay, so work your way up to five. If you, don't, if you can't start with five, start with a minute, start with two minutes to just listen, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak in your heart, to converse with God, to commune with God, and to hear his wise counsel. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you so much for an opportunity to gather with these family and, and friends and, and some strangers I don't know, and, and the whole thing, God, every week that we get to gather and we get to we get to see how you've spoken to us through your word. But God, we know that even as like I talk to you right now, even as we pray and as there's people praying around our room just to themselves or silent or whatever it looks like, um, God, that they fall upon your ears and you wish to speak to us. God, you wish to continually counsel through your word, counsel through your voice as you speak. God, we do thank you in this moment. We do thank you for your word. That God, that as we pray to you, God, sometimes you just speak to, back to us in Scripture. God, that you have, you're like, I already said it. <laughs> and, and, just, and you know my, my stance on this. And so, Lord, I, I pray, God, in the midst of that, Lord, that we would just have a hunger for your word. Because that is so many times is the way that you counsel. By recalling us back to the word. By drawing us back to truth. God, that's how you, that's how you speak to us. So God, we pray that we'd have ears to hear as you speak. We'd have eyes to see as you move. God, we'd have just an opportunity to embrace you in your presence. God, you tell us, God, it is in your presence we find the fullness of joy. So we pray your presence over your church, that we'd be a people that commune with you and experience the joy thereof. God, there would be a joy that changes and a joy that moves. God, us into service for those around us and for those in our city. God, all the while testifying to your glory is utmost importance because you are God and you are Savior and you are Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.